So for the last uh, couple of months, we've been looking at these uh, I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. I am living water. I'm the light of the world. I am. Um, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Today, I think we're going to look at the point of all those I am statements and what might be the greatest I am statement uh, in John chapter 11. So let's uh, turn our Bibles there right now. If you have a Bible that looks blue like this one, it's uh, on page 871. We love to uh, stand for the reading of God's word, so let's do that right now. John chapter 11. So when Jesus got the word, he says, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The next word ought to be, therefore, he waited for two days. What? That makes no sense. Because he loves them, he waits. Yeah, he does that too. Because he loves them. Because he loves us. Now, it's not hard for us to put our, our, ourselves in the shoes of Mary and Martha. You can just imagine the things that, that, that's going on in their mind or the things that they're saying. Where is Jesus? What's taking him so long? Why isn't he here? And, and, and while they're thinking all of that with each passing moment, as they wait, as they wait, as they helplessly wait, they watch their brother die. Have you been there? Now, death is the thing that no one wants to talk about today because it's still the one thing that makes us feel impotent and helpless. As much as our modern world has accomplished, death still remains a fact. We're all going to die. And this fact doesn't sit too well with people. I mean, death is a problem today. The, the French philosopher Albert Camus said death presents the greatest of all philosophical problems. He says, if, if death is the end, then life is meaningless. Paul said the same thing. He says, if there is no life after death, then be a nihilist. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But here's the deal. Death is more than just a philosophical problem. It's, it, it's an existential challenge because nothing stings more than death. Nothing hurts us more than death. It elicits life's deepest fears and causes life's deepest wounds. In my opinion, I feel like children give the best expression uh, to all of this. I've documented some of the things that my kids have, have said over the years about death. Um, Kate, when she was four years old, Libby was reading to her Charlotte's Web, and she's so engrossed in the story, and then it gets to that point where Charlotte then dies, and Wilbur the pig is just crying his eyes out, and that little mind of hers now is starting to think and apply it to her world, and she says to Libby, she says, Mommy, are you going to die someday? Or Gabe, when he was five, <laughs> one time he said to me, he said, Dad, why does God let people die? Think about it. Already that five-year-old mind 
has the capacity to think about such thoughts as God and death. And he wasn't done. He's like, only old people die, right, Dad? Now I know what he's thinking. But of course, he confirms what I was, what I was thinking when he says, you're not going to die for a long time, are you, Dad? It hurts. And see, our, our modern world, it, it doesn't know what to do with death. It, it basically says, don't talk about it. Deny it as much as you can. Medicate it when necessary. When it happens, dress it up. Make it look as beautiful as you can. And, and, and whatever you do, find uh, diversions to, to, to divert your attention away from it. And therefore, we live in a culture of denial, a culture that no longer even has the capacity to deal with a sore back or a broken iPhone, Right? And we learn pretty early in the game that death is not even something that's appropriate to talk about. It makes people uncomfortable. I'll show you my cards, things I sometimes think about. Because I think about death often. One day, either I will be burying my wife or she'll be burying me. The day is going to come when I'm either burying my parents or my parents are burying me. The day is going to come when I'm either at the funeral of, of my kids or they're standing at my funeral. Those are sobering thoughts, but they're real. I hear people say that, that the Bible isn't relevant for, the, for today, and I think, why? Because it doesn't relate to this shallow, consumer, image-obsessed pop culture. Listen, this is an ancient book that deals with timeless realities in a way that transcends the puny-mindedness of our day. And the Bible tells us that death is our greatest problem. It explains death, it explains why we die, where death came from, it explains how it entered the world and what it's done to us in our world. And most importantly, this book is the story of what God is gonna do about death. In fact, in the book of Job, Job asked the question I think we all wanna ask. If a man dies, will he rise again? And listen to these incredible words that Jesus already says in verse 4 to his disciples. He says, this sickness will not end in death. <laughs> what do you mean, Jesus? This is not going to end in death. Are you suggesting something here? So Jesus arrives on the scene. Um, Mary and Martha, the sisters to Lazarus, of course, are in deep, deep pain. Only Mary goes out to see Jesus. Mary stays at home. And here's the deal, they're not only hurting, but they're also, they're angry. And, and Martha, when she hears that Jesus is finally uh, on the scene, she goes out and confronts Jesus, and she speaks her mind. She gets in the ring with Jesus. It's like she puts the boxing gloves on. And this is who Martha is. 
Mary's just a little bit more passive. She, she avoids, she retreats, she keeps to herself. She only comes to Jesus when Jesus asks her to come in verse 28. But here's the deal. They both, on their own accord, ask Jesus the same question. Verse 21 and 32. Jesus, if only you had been here, our brother would not have died. See, this is a whole nother layer to their pain. Of course, it devastates them that the, that the brother that they love dies, but there's another stinger to this. Why weren't you here, Jesus? Why didn't you do something about this? Why did you allow this to happen? Jesus, you let us down. Now, two weeks ago, when I told that story when I was a sixth grade kid playing one-on-one basketball with my friend, and... Um, he kept beating me, beating me, beating me to the point where I looked up at God and just passionately looked at him and said, God, I hate you. <laughs> you guys are looking at me right now the same way you looked at me two weeks ago. Like, <laughs> this guy's our pastor. Like, what am I doing at this church? <laughs> you know, my theology was pretty whacked back then as a kid, thinking that God was here to help me win basketball games, but... I tell you what, that little sixth grader had a lot of faith in God. It takes a lot of faith to say those kind of things to God. I've walked along with a lot of people, people who have lost people they love, spouses. And they often say to me things like this. They say, Rod, it scares me. It scares me the things that I say to God. It scares me when I get in my car and I find myself just yelling and screaming at him. They're like, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, are you kidding? Do you see that that's a beautiful part of your faith? I mean, my family, we, 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 we do yell and scream sometimes. We like to say in our house, our love is loud because it can be pretty loud. But, but listen, we don't yell and scream in each other because we don't love each other, because we don't believe in each other, but it's because we do. See, it's people that you actually believe in, who you trust, who you love, the, the ones, they're the ones that can actually let you down. And God made us, God knows what we are. This is why God changed the name of his people to Israel. Israel means to wrestle with God. God is saying to Israel, wrestle with me, yell and scream at me. That's why we have the Psalms. So much of the Psalms are our are, are, are prayers to God of, of yelling and screaming at God. It's because this is a key component of biblical faith. Now, I love how Jesus moves into Mary and Martha's pain. You can see how he just uh, understands the, the, the complexity of, of, of human, human beings. With Martha who's strong and aggressive, who speaks her mind, Jesus moves right into this thing with strength. He speaks truth to her. In verse 23, he says, listen, Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha, Martha then boldly says back to him, uh, Jesus, I know my brother will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus then looks at her and declares, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes this, though they die, yet will they live. Martha, do you believe this? 
And see, it's like in that moment, Jesus just magnifies himself. It's like he undoes his shirt and, 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 and shows his, his deity. And then he just, he, he, he triumphantly declares to Martha, Martha, I win. I'm the victor of, over death. Death doesn't get the last word. I get the last word. And this is exactly what Martha needs in this moment. She needs someone who's going to speak truth to her, someone who's going to reaffirm her hope. And this is why I, I get frustrated when Christians are shrinking back today. We're shrinking back from pointing people to Jesus. People are desperate. People are lost. People are confused. People are lonely. People are empty. People's lives are full of despair. And we have the hope. We can talk about it. But then there's Mary. And Mary is every bit as devastated as Martha, even though she stays at home and doesn't come running to Jesus. Mary's a softer personality. She's more quiet. She internalizes things. She, she stays to herself, which doesn't make Mary any less or more than Martha. In fact, our world needs both Martha's and Mary's, and Mary's need Martha's, and Martha's need Mary's. But I love how Jesus moves into Mary's pain. He knows he has to call her to come to him. Come to me, Mary. She runs to him. In verse 32, it says that Mary just falls at Jesus' feet. By the way, every time Mary shows up in the Gospels, every single time, she is at Jesus' feet. She loves him. And she says the same thing her sister says. If Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, instead of preaching a mini-sermon to her, he says nothing. In fact, the text just says that Jesus wept. The word for wept there means to break down and to sob at this moment. Jesus just, he loses it. He falls apart. And I want us to see this because Jesus with Martha is so triumphal, yet with Mary he becomes so weak. And people ask me all the time, when I go to a funeral, what am I supposed to say? You don't have to say anything. Just be present. Be there. Be close to them. And I think today how much our world is in pain, how our world is weeping. We as Christians, we just need to move in and be present. There's also a big clash going on today. I don't know if you've noticed the clash between liberals and conservatives. <laughs> I mean, it exists everywhere. It, it, it exists in the church. Typically, liberal Christians want a human Jesus without his deity. Conserv conservative Christians want a divine Christ without his humanity. Jesus is both. He is Lord, he is the ruler of the cosmos, and simultaneously a weak, vulnerable human who falls apart at funerals and eats with sinners and prostitutes. 
And some of us right now struggle with a weak, vulnerable Jesus, and some of us right now struggle with Jesus who is the Lord and ruler of the universe, which means he's the Lord and ruler of your life. Some of us resist the fact that, that Jesus is not just truth, but he says, I am the truth. I am triumphal truth. I am the exclusive truth. And some of us resist a weepy Jesus, a Jesus who weeps. We need both. And Christ is both. I mean, imagine if Christ was just truth without tears. We just have this heartless Fixer, ruler. Imagine if he was tears without truth. Yes, he could meet us in our pain, understand our pain, but he couldn't do anything about it. What we have in Christ is the God-man, the lion and the lamb, the one who is the greatest, who became the lowest of humans, and he knows as a result of that the complexity of human life. He knows exactly what we need when we need it, and he has the power to do something about it. Now, one question that, that's oftentimes asked of this story, it's a fair question. If Jesus knows in moments he's going to raise Lazarus, Lazarus is literally going to be in his arms, why is he crying? Why is he crying? Have you ever thought about that? I think the answer is in verse 36. They say, see how Jesus loved him. Jesus loved Lazarus. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? I don't think any one of us in this room right now can fully comprehend the full extent of Christ's love for us right now. How his heart is just so bound to us. I mean, we just studied the book of Hosea. And we, 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 we went to Hosea chapter 11, where God is trying so hard to describe his love for his people, even though his people, they've rebelled against God. They've gone their own way. They, they, they put their love, loves in 101 different things other than God. And yet God still says to his people, he says, don't you know I can't give you up? I'm your father, you, 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 you're my son, I, I, I taught you how to walk, I bent down to feed you, I, I, I lifted your face to my cheek, I, I raised you, I, I, I can't, I can't do anything but love you. I think every parent right now understands this. I mean, the moment our, our kids come into the world, it's like, it's like ball and chain, you know? It's... Uh, and it doesn't even get better. I mean, our, our, our hearts. <laughs> Thank you for that affirming laughter. <laughs> our hearts are just so bound to them. This past week, one of my kids had, had a huge high. And another one of my kids had a low, a low low. And involved in justice and in, in, in all of that. And... When they're high, we're high. When they're low, we're low. We're lower than they, they even know how low we are. Why is this? Our hearts are so bound to our kids. 
And this is just a fraction of, of how much God's heart is bound to us when, when we hurt, when we weep. I mean, think about Psalm 56. It says he stores our tears in a, in a, in a bottle. Not one of our tears is wasted by God. He hurts more in our hurt than we hurt ourselves. Why is Jesus weeping? See how much he loves Lazarus. And I love this. Jesus doesn't just approach Lazarus' tomb with tears, but in verse 33 and 38, two times it says he was deeply distressed. And that's the, the translator trying to be really kind to Jesus' emotions. Um, it literally means that he was outraged. It's, it, it's, it's what a horse does when it snorts, and it's, it's about ready to go on attack mode. That's what the word deeply distressed means. Jesus right now is, he's furious like a raging bull. At what? He didn't make a world like this. The Bible teaches us that death ruined God's good world. The Bible teaches right now that, that, that death is at work in our world. That death is not just a future event, but death right now is working in us. And this goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 2, verse 17, when God placed Adam and Eve in this wonderful paradise. He says, don't eat of this tree, because if you eat of it, you will surely die. And the day that they ate that forbidden fruit, let me ask you, did they immediately die that day? Yes, they died that day. They became the walking dead, still living yet dead. They're dead in sin, and all creation became infected very quickly in the game with death. And why did they die? Genesis 3 verse, 20 3 verse 23 says they were cut off. They were cut off from God. They were separated. They were disconnected. They were dislocated from the source of life. Death now reigns. Two people die every second. 6,500 people die per hour. 150,000 people die per day. 55 million die per year. Death is at work in our world. Death reigns. But in a world of death, in the face of death, here stands the gigantic figure of Christ. First, hear what he says to Mary and Martha, because Mary and Martha, I think, are doing what, what we all do with death. Jesus, if only you had been here, it would be different. It wouldn't have happened. See, and that's what death causes us to do. It causes us to obsess about the past and wish that the past were somehow different. But Jesus gets Mary and Martha to stop regretting the past and to look to the future. Your brother will rise again. And then he takes that future hope and he roots it in the present, he says, because I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man die, if he believes in me, he will live. And so while death is at work in our world and in, 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 in us, do you see how life is at work in the world in Jesus? This is why he became a human being. 
It was to take on death, to take on all the sin, which is the root of death, and to bring life. And the reason why your, your, your grandparents or your mom or your dad or your spouse or your child or your friend, the reason one day they will rise again from the dead is because of who Jesus is right now. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And look at him. Look at the I am. Look at how he approaches his friend's grave with tears in his eyes like a raging bull towards death. He's ready for war and he yells out, remove the stone. And then he shouts, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44 might be one of the most exciting passages of scripture. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Do you know what it cost Jesus to say these words? Because the next story, which we didn't read, this event leaks back to the religious authorities and they hold a meeting and they decide that this Jesus must die because otherwise his movement, it's gonna ruin everything. This is where the high priest says, let us destroy the one to spare the many. And Jesus is no dummy. He, he knows what's going on in their minds. Uh, he knows that if he raises his friend this day, that it's gonna cost him his life, that the only way for him to get Lazarus out of the tomb is that Jesus must go into his own tomb. For him to interrupt our funerals, he must cause his own funeral. And this really is the kind of world that sin created. It's a world where the more that you actually love, the more you're gonna suffer. I mean, the song is right, love hurts. It hurts to love. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. And if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. <laughs> Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all the entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, because to love is to be vulnerable. And to love is to suffer. And the one who loved the most, Christ, is the one who suffered the most. For you. For us. And he doesn't just love us with, with, with words. See, when we really see the love of God, when we see Christ weeping for us, when we see his outrage at all the broken stuff in our life, when we see the greatest 
becoming the lowest and, and standing in our place and, and dying the death that we deserved and absorbing into himself all our sin, all our vile, all of our poison. And we see how he went into the grave so that he could call us out of the grave. When we see him, when we behold him, when we trust him, when like Mary, we fall at his feet and we worship him, that's when we become alive. That's when the broken parts come together. That's when all the decay stops and the healing begins and the resurrection comes forth. Because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's not just future, that's present, that's right now. And there's a lot of popular opinion today that, that says that, you know, this promise of resurrection is for everyone, but don't drink that Kool-Aid. Jesus says, Martha, do you believe this? Do you trust me? And this is how you know that you trust Jesus, how you've placed your life in him. Resurrection will break out. You begin to look like him. You begin to act like him and live like him. You start to love like him. You move into the brokenness of our world with tears. You have outrage for the things of this world that should not be. You have the capacity to suffer much because you love much. And then when you stop and think about what Lazarus' empty tomb points to, it points to Christ, his empty tomb. And that his empty tomb points to our empty tomb. Job 19, verse 24 says, One day our Redeemer will stand upon our grave and with tears in his eyes and outrage towards death. He's going to shout out, Come out! <laughs> Told you, it's always a kid. Let's pray. God, may we fall at your feet. May we worship you. God, may we leave living a selfish life for ourselves. May we give that up and trust you for a new one, a resurrected one that only comes when we give up ourself and living for ourselves and surrendering our lives to you. And thank you, God, that resurrection is real, that it's future, that you're not going to just resuscitate us. You're going to resurrect us. We're going to become new creations. But right now, God, you're working that out in our lives as we live for you and trust you. God, may we fall at your feet and worship you.